Welcome to Definitely Maybe Agile, a podcast where Peter Madison and David Shurrock discuss the complexities of adopting new ways of working at scale. Hello, Dave. How are you today? A really great start to the day. I'm doing very well, by the way. Just fantastic. I hope you're doing well. I was just thinking we've, we're doing exactly what we're going to be talking about, which is we've had a process for kicking off these conversations. We've thrown that process away. And so now both of us are staring at the screen, wondering what on earth are we supposed to do in order to start a conversation? Exactly. And that's because we're, we're dealing with our fixed process, the way that we always start this. And we haven't gone back, even after all of these episodes, to actually refresh that and look, hey, how might we do this differently? What's changed? And what I'm realizing is we've just shot ourselves in the foot because so what we wanted to talk about today is fixed process and what impact that has on organizations and when do you need fixed process? When do you not? And what some of the risks are. And as I was thinking about it, I was thinking about the best agile teams are really, really strong at navigating around processes. And I just think we've proved we're not at the best agile teams by totally getting flummoxed by the fact that we've removed a process and we don't know what the next step is. Yeah. Well, but there are good moments for that, right? Uh, and we, this was something we were talking about. It's that uh, when you're looking to be creative, as we are in this podcast, then it can be good not to have a process because it allows you to explore and see what's happening. Like, where do we go? What do we want to say? And where might the conversation go next? Yeah. And I think one of the realizations that I was kind of making, thinking about this topic is so this comes from both of us uh, you know we bump into organizations where they've got fixed processes i just had a conversation around finance and budgeting just prior to coming into this and how the wrong process can really hinder you being able to get things done because these financial processes are in place the people in finance want to see them followed but the process does not evolve to reflect the current needs of the organization so there's this um speaking about agile and change, if I can just add the other side of it. So you've got on the one hand, these fixed processes, this is what we need to be accountable, to be credible, to be good at what we do. But on the other side, you have a lot of agile coaches, maybe in the coaching community, but also agile teams, where they view processes individuals and interactions over processes and tools they throw out all the process and that generates a whole bunch of dysfunction as well yeah well then at that point you are you are generating risk you still you still need aspects of process in place in most organizations to ensure that uh, the the right things are happening at the right times, this, especially if you're in an organization that has some kind of uh, regulatory needs that it has to meet, uh, some external bodies or uh, other places where there's something you need to do. But but even if you don't, you're typically beholden to what the organization uh, needs and where it's going, um, unless you're really 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 small. If you're in a like a startup and you have no external dependencies whatsoever, then you can perhaps get away with sort of just flying by the seat of your pants. But at right. some point, you, you need to have something to create some kind of consistency in what you're doing. Well, what I was just going to say is I think we're actually not talking about not there being no process. So if I just take something daft like getting your expenses mm -hmm. paid, if you're in a large organization, there is a process. If you want the finance department to give you any money back, you're going to follow the process or it doesn't happen. An explicit process that we can, you know, we can all do use and we understand how that works in a smaller organization it isn't that there's no process there's still a process to get your expenses you know return it's probably a implicit mm -hmm. so it's it's informal i can walk in go talk to the finance manager or i am and i dip my you know whatever it is there's some 
informal process. And crucially, it's not repeatable. It's maybe repeatable because somebody says, hey, Peter, if you want to claim that back, throw the receipt this way, we'll give you the money out of petty cash, whatever it is. It's an informal process. But as you scale, that cannot, it doesn't scale. So there's, it's not that there's no process. It's more that there's an implicit informal process, or maybe there's an explicit process, but not that there's no process necessarily. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And so I, it's the, there is some way in way that something is done. There's a sequence of activities that occur. And uh, that sequence of activities has to occur. It may not always occur in the same order, as you say, because it's informal, but the, but there is a sequence of things that need to happen. I, I ask somebody for the money, they give me it back. <laughs> yeah. it's that type of thing. Now, what's interesting then is, okay, so because what we where we started our conversation is, okay, those fixed processes, how do they handle change? And, and I'm just reminded, to stay on finance, it feels like that safe place that we're not tripping over. But I'm just thinking, uh, we're, we're in the condo which I'm living in, but they're currently doing a big chunk of construction. And payment to the con- contractors is still done by check, which mm-hmm. I still, I scratch my head about this one. I mean, Europe got rid of checks, whatever, 20 years ago. And yet still there's this this part of, of you know work that gets done where checks go backwards and forwards in a day when everything can be done through electronic transfer of some form. Yeah, and it's 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 been that way because the part all of the different parts of the system that would necessarily need to change just haven't updated themselves to make this possible. So you've still got this process because that's the way that it's always been done, and nobody's gone to make the change. And now, in some of these cases, it's because it's um, why make that change? <laughs> like sometimes you get into situations where a process is fixed because the cost of changing it is higher than the cost of maintaining it, or at least the perception that the cost of changing it is too high. And Although the, the benefit you get with a new process is just not there, right? So Yes, yeah. Like, so, that change. like um, the, the people uh, with, the, with the checks don't see the cost of all of the trees that are getting chopped down or the, all the rest of the pieces that, uh, or the damage to the planet from all the pollution if we want to be environmentalist about it but like there could be all sorts of like if you looked at the entire end-to-end value stream is it really uh, the same cost you think it is um but i wonder because this brings us on to risk let's just stay yeah. on this topic around the checks because the reality is that the contractor in the case that i'm describing the contractor is the one that carries the risk if the check is delayed in the mail they're the ones that don't get paid and they're the ones so so this is about how do you manage the risk are you are you shoving the risk off to somebody else and they're now having to handle it, but it doesn't impact you? In which case, why would you change your process? It doesn't worry you, right? Yeah, exactly. And we were talking about this before is that if there's, if there isn't anything sort of driving that change, if there isn't any, or there isn't anything that, uh, it has to happen for a particular reason, then there, that reason to change the fixed process doesn't occur, right? Like you need some kind of driving force. Um, so even though all of the world and all the industry around has changed, uh, we still end up with the same process in place and it stays with the way it has always been. Because until there's something that, for example, we're no longer allowed to chop down trees, nobody's allowed to print checks anymore, we have to change. Right? Or the risk is somehow transferred back to us for some. We're held accountable for, let's yeah. say, the check not reaching the, its endpoint. So yes, 
Now, we carry the risk for that. Therefore, we're going to make some changes to our processes to make sure that we're not carrying that risk. Yeah, because right? it's expensive. So I, I, well, I, I really, I think it's important for us to think because where we came into this conversation is trying to understand why don't processes stay up to date? And we were thinking in digital mm -hmm. in particular, there's, you know, well, in, in operations that there are some very well-defined processes, whatever it might be. If I make a change to the system from an operations manual perspective, I need to update the operations manual, make sure you say you in operations know what changes I've made. Now, most people we can talk to about that would agree that sounds like a very sensible thing. And yet decades of experience writing software and working in the technology industry tells me that just because we all recognize it's a sensible thing, we don't do it in many, many cases, or it's difficult to be consistent about. Yeah. And, uh, and part of it's where that accountability lies. Um, and part of it's like, do where where is the value? Like, who, who sees the value in that? Um, so the and the operation manuals, especially in organizations that still operate in a very um, sort of development and operations as separate entities, where the, the operations manual is valuable to the operations folks, but it's the development folks that need to update it. And so the, it's yeah. not as valuable to the development folks in those situations. So they don't update it. Yeah. <laughs> risk transference again, right? We're, yeah, we're risk transferring transference. the risk to operations. Now, and, and I still think in a DevOps environment, you still got that headache because I think a lot of it, that risk transference is, is sort of human nature as well, right? I mean, yeah, well, the, in a in a more DevOps environment, you you mitigate that because the delivery team end to end owns their the systems that they're deploying. So as a, a part of that for their own sanity, they now have accountability. They own the risk. So you and you put the systems in place. Uh, to to ensure that they understand what is, are the consequences of the failure or the so there's by having those feedback loops in place by creating the telemetry by creating the visibility into that when it's done well no I, there's a but it's not just telemetry is it I know no. so many organizations that have separated out you know defect resolution enhancements from feature development and so now again I, it doesn't matter how good my telemetry is I still have a, a transfer of risk away from the feature development team to the enhancement and defect fixing team. Yeah, well, but yeah, I, I had this conversation on Friday with uh, with a mentee of mine, and uh, yeah, I said, well, that was your first mistake. <laughs> the, the delivery team needs to own their defects. <laughs> Simple as that. If you like separating it out into a separate team is uh, is again risk transference. You're and it, it creates exactly that same problem. And not to mention that that team that's solely working on the, doing all that defect stuff. Yeah, good luck keeping them. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because cool. that now, is just soul destroying work. <laughs> so if we turn this, if we just can, can kind of continue this conversation, we're definitely comfortable having a, a well-defined process, for example. But now there's another aspect to it, which is that well-defined process that is now no longer fit for purpose. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about the check and finance financial process, but there's a lot of examples where there are roles within organizations whose job is to keep you aligned to a well-defined process. And yet invariably those conversations are incredibly frustrating. And, you know, in, in some ways, something that, that I'm thinking of development teams and so on, where they try actively to, I mean, honestly, to ignore or avoid those conversations because mm -hmm. they find them frustrating. Why is that? Well, there's a perception at the very least. I think it comes down to that risk transference again. It's that there, where's the value and who's that valuable to? And if the delivery team is 
focused on, I've got to get this next feature out the door. And you're, but you're asking me to stop and do all of this extraneous work, which doesn't actually appear to add any value to what I'm delivering. And I, I don't see why I should do this. So the, the, they may not see that value in creating even like updating threat models, for example, is a, is a common one. So part of your delivery system, especially in a large, more complex system, if I'm making a change to um, integration or interconnectivity or moving parts of my system into uh, from like an on-premise environment into the cloud, uh, walk, going through a threat modeling exercise should be a standard practice at that point. Like, uh, what are the various threat avenues? Because I've, I've changed very much the uh, the nature of the system as I'm deploying it. So I, I should be looking at what is the impact that that causes? What are the potential new risks that I've raised? Uh, and have I properly mitigated those? But it's interesting. So the threat modeling kind of idea, there's something very uh, dynamic about that in the sense that if I model a threat, you know, in, in February of 2023, mm-hmm. and we've made the changes there, the assumption in, you know, at the end of 2023, that that threat model is still relevant is probably in the world we're living in, where things are changing so rapidly, and you've no dependencies outside of your control is almost certainly not true. So that brings us to that, it isn't a fixed process, but a continuously evolving better and better and better process somehow. And I think that's where we start seeing challenges because we think of processes as fixed or permanent. And we want to think of the validation and continuous approval of process to be the fixed and permanent bit, not the process. Yeah, it's, it's the um, we, we should focus on change itself. We need to get good at change, not at uh, right? it's the, yeah, for the cat, pers- cat poster version of this, right? Well, and, I, and well, I'm just thinking of like there's so many of the organizations that we've stepped into i'm sure we've both experienced this where this individuals and interactions over processes and tools meant basically ignoring process or at least very much downplaying it instead of to your point changing process and i think there's that element of being aware in aware enough to know that the process doesn't have to go away as we said it becomes explicit moves from explicit to implicit or informal it's more that we take that explicit process and evolve it based on new circumstance whatever that might be and uh, and this isn't easy especially at scale (laughs) because it, it can be very easy to make blanket statements that we believe to be true um, but it can become uh, very, very difficult to implement. Uh, my, my favorite example of this um, coming out of the, the DevOps space is the idea of code scanning on every change that you put through, which in a, especially in an organization that's been around for a while or in an organization that's been encouraging people to be able to use whatever languages they want, uh, just isn't feasible. Um, you, there's no code scanning tool in the world that can scan every single type of code I have in the environment. It just doesn't exist. And it certainly won't work well with third-party applications or configuration-based systems or batch-based systems. Or <laughs> So there, there's... I, there, I, just, there, I get the impression you wait three months and then ChatGPT will be doing that over its lunch break. <laughs> but... I'd, yeah, well, well, again, you run into a problem. Even yeah, it, it's it's got a little bit more to it than that. Because I was it, not wanting to derail things, but I, that yeah, was just too but, easy of a shot to take. Yeah, <laughs> well, that that's a whole other conversation because it. The, the, I mean, ChatGPT might be able to come up with the various tests that you need to be able to execute, but it doesn't necessarily have understanding of all of the other tests that exist in the system that also need to be well, done and included. So ChatGPT on its own, maybe not. 
But if you tie ChatGPT into uh, some kind of modeling system that would give it uh, insight into what exists already, then yeah, potentially. Right. <laughs> let, let me just pull that thread back back in, and we'll throw. How that far out. do you want to go down the rat? rat no, rat. no, I don't want to go. Down. <laughs> not not in this conversation. But what I wanted to say is, I, I think what's important around for us to take away from that, if you like, is on the process itself. Is you need that dash of common sense in there as well, or experience, or or thoughtful application. So the idea I guess we're coming to is the idea that a process can cover all all cases. Let's probably not go that way, at least in most of the spaces we work in. But equally, the idea that a process can be static and not continuously up for review and change as the environment around it changes. So I think the best example, I mean, the best scenarios, examples I can think of has been where there was sort of informed conversation about whether that process was still serving its purpose or whether it needed modification there's a well understood way of making changes to that that valid you know that had expertise looking over it to say yeah you're not throwing throwing out something that's going to be critical right? yes yeah exactly and uh having been involved in a lot of these types of conversations <laughs> they it, it, typically the, there's everybody's got a point of view and getting everybody aligned to oh that's that's a whole other thing right yeah yes yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's um, there's a point at which processes get in the way, especially if we're if we're trying to be creative, we're trying something new. So creating avenues for people to be able to do that is is essential. Uh, there are places where we need consistency um, and way things are done, or we we know that there are particular elements of execution that have to be in place, either because we have some external need or because if we're in a, uh, and we were talking a bit about this, you're in a um, a system which has got more sort of life or death or uh, has more severe consequences of there being a bad decision being made, then you, you may need to have to make sure that certain things occur uh, so that you you know that it's safe. And so there are these, there's definitely these elements that you need to include. But uh, having sufficient flexibility uh, to be able within the processes that you have, but also that, uh, as we've been talking about, that the need to continually go back and look at them and say, okay, is this still serving us? Is this doing what we need it to? Uh, is there, how do we improve from here? Like if, uh, what's the next iteration of this that's going to get us to where we need to be? And cycling back to the finance piece, the obvious one there is moving from project to product and thinking of like our fixed annual budget versus uh, continual incremental funding of value streams, for example, or whatever well, model you want. I, I, just, I mean, your point about innovation and creativity is it's really important. You know, in in an in a, a culture which is heavily process oriented and effectively therefore control oriented, that just it just really makes creativity difficult mm -hmm. and and innovation difficult. But equally, when you go into a culture or an organization that needs to innovate or be creative it doesn't mean there's no process there again there's processes that allow you to innovate and be creative some of which is strip away some of the controlling processes for sure but not i mean we're we're currently working with clients helping them with innovation and one of the things that's really interesting is there is well-established practices processes around innovation it's just different to the ones we use to build consistent features at a certain level of quality that meet the expectations of customers. There's a there's another element to it. So there's a subtly different kind of environment within which they're working. But there's still constraints. There's still containers within which the innovation can happen. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, uh, and things like service design and design thinking and human centered design and all of these spaces where there's a, there's a, there's, there's actually a vast array of processes and, and different methods and ways of doing that to like from generating ideas to turning those ideas into actions, into experimenting. Like, uh, how would you test this for a hundred dollars or like that kind of thing? Oh, it's, and just to kind of close the loop on a couple of things, I, I think as we've, jumped around around process us no the bit that's in the background is i'm realizing the human behavior and how we interact with people because mm-hmm. in innovation and creativity that that's where it really becomes very obvious because if we do things in the wrong order or we we kind of come in with the wrong mindset we're really going to blow up the ability to get innovation and creativity but the same is true and if i want a repeated behavior there is also i have to understand that there are certain things i cannot do because Mm -hmm. nature is going to get bored is going to be distracted by whatever is going on so trying to get repeated behavior becomes challenging yeah any process that has a base assumption that some human being is going to do the same thing in the same way every single time is obviously (laughs) that you're not looking for consistency (laughs) yes yeah um maybe just to sort of wrap things up um can you talk a little bit about so we've talked about lots of process but if we talked about practices good practices best practices how does that fit in with the process conversation so and uh, without delving into Kinevin at the uh we... well, trying to avoid a deep dive into Kinevin but yeah. I think part of it is is of course a practice and a process can be very aligned mm-hmm. or not I guess yeah well well and what you find especially in larger organizations and heavily regulated ones is they've followed a particular set of industry standards and ways of doing things and those have help to define what the processes are that are in place. And it can, uh, and this is one of the other things that uh, often gets forgotten about is that, well, people change, people retire, people leave the company, new people come in, they look at the process and they go, well, that doesn't make any sense. And it's like, why Why were things done that way? And, they, and a lot of it might've just been that somebody took another process and they brought it in. And that's what created that, set of processes and when we look at like where some of that best practice comes from and where it gets applied if we're if we're operating with a with a complicated system something that we know wants we want to do in a certain way we want to do expenses we know that to get expenses for the tax term we need people to put in who it is that they uh, met with and things like this so there's a process that has to to be in place for that so that it they're not allowed to enter it without entering that information and then you can have review processes around it for example like we were talking about expenses earlier so figured that so there's a there's a known best practice for that process there's a set of things that need to exist and if you buy a tool off the shelf it'll probably already have that a, a base version of that built in that you can tweak or tailor for your company and integrate into whatever other systems you need it to talk to which is probably where it need to start to operate so there are for, for a lot of things that we do there are known ways to do things and known practices and best ways of doing it that we we take and we adopt and as long as we don't find that they're restricting us 
think we don't find that, well, there's a, there might be a better way of doing this. Maybe if I just took a picture of everybody as having dinner with and identified them all, took them out of my contact book and added them to the expense receipt, and then I wouldn't have to fill in that field. I don't know. <laughs> well, but I, what I find, I mean, what you're saying there is basically is best practice automated. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's just <laughs> automated. I mean, it's just like, how do I get this off my plate so yeah. I don't have to think about it? What yeah. I what I always find interesting here is you get into the good practice and then emergent practice as you sort of get into either more volatile or dynamic areas or just unknown areas. Yes. Is we're now, it's almost like the dash of common sense and human like thoughtful cognitive mm -hmm. interaction and thought increases so you're basically going like you know best practice don't have to think too much about it just get it done good practice would probably maybe it's 50 50 or 40 60 or something in terms of i need to be thoughtful about it and we were saying there are edge cases yes and they're, they're often, you know, there's always something there that's not maybe fully, you know, included in this practice or process. And then, of course, emergent practice are the ones that we're always refreshing and mm -hmm. apply different experience and understanding to. And I think that thinking of processes in that same way of, of best to good to emergent practices all of a sudden gives a little bit of a tool to start thinking, is this practice, is this process fixed because it's best practice, it should not be modified, or is it fixed because it's good practice and we just think it's good and we should keep it, in which case maybe it's going to change or not, or is it an emergent practice that we need to continuously monitor and change and update as we learn more through telemetry, through whatever it might be, right? Yeah, and, and I would say technical change of software would be an example of that. Yeah, exactly. So hey, it brings us nicely circle. full circle. How do we sum this up, Dave? Yeah, we better get going. <laughs> so how I, you know what I'm for all of that conversation going backwards and forwards. I think one of my key takeaways, and I really enjoyed this conversation. One of my key takeaways is this idea of processes. First of all, always being there, whether it's explicit or implicit, informal or formal. And then secondly, that there are processes that you really don't need to change and should be held firm. There are processes that you want to continuously challenge, you know, and then somewhere in the middle of the processes that you want to review and update or think about on a regular basis. And I think where the challenge comes is when we treat, you know, processes always being firm or permanent when they should actually be up for discussion or continuously reviewed or whatever it might be, something that's a little bit more flexible for, for, for not a flexible process, but flexibly reviewed, you know? Yeah. It's the, uh, I think, uh, it's the balance between creativity and risk, right? It's where do we, where do we fit on that scale and where are we, what are we looking to do? <laughs> and, uh, well, and, and problem space, right? So, which yeah, is, problem space. You know. Awesome. Well, with that, I think we can wrap up for the uh, day. And uh, anybody wishes to subscribe, hit that subscribe button. And uh, feedback, as always, at uh, feedback at definitely maybe agile. And uh, wonderful conversations always, Dave. Until next time. Until next time. You've been listening to Definitely Maybe Agile, the podcast where your hosts, Peter Madison and David Sharrock, focus on the art and science of digital, agile, and DevOps at scale. 